Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You know what my favorite text is? A Waypoint and the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. What you got in your hand there, Dan? Ultralight titanium revolver. Wrist breaker. It's a Taurus 44 Magnum. That's what it is. Is that what it is? Yeah, that thing's made of titanium, super light. But it's a gorgeous Bucks gun. Bucks like a mule. Yeah. But it's a it. very, that's a good bear gun. Man. Hey, welcome to the Bear Grease Render. My oh my, do we ever have a production today? <laughs> Man, we have, uh, we have two new people in the in in the room today at the global headquarters mm. two new people and we traditionally introduce the new people at the end to so like it's like suspenseful of what's going to be happening landbridge is cocking the gun now okay welcome to america first first of all gary newcomb is not here Man, it's too bad. Is he on the dozer? He, he's building. He's building the barn. He's not on a dozer. Oh man, I got some stories about a dozer. And Misty Newcomb was gonna be here. She had to bail for professional reasons, hmm. and she was very quickly replaced. Oh wow! <laughs> now that that substituted. Substitute. She was very quickly substituted. Yes. It makes okay. me wonder who was the substitution. She's ir- She's That's irreplaceable. Right. That's right. I mean, who was it? Was yeah. It Who'd you have on speed dial? Well, I'll tell that. So, to my right, I have Mr. Brent Reeves. Brent, good to see you. Hey, buddy. Nice yeah. hat. 
Thanks, man. I got a new hat. <laughs> Dr. Daniel Roop. Good to be here. Fantastic to see you. It's good you for you to see bow? me. I have. Dan's I got have. a new bow. Oh, sweet. It's yeah. absolutely wonderful. What is it? Yeah. It's a Matthews. Oh. I don't, I don't actually know what kind it is. What kind is it? Uh, VXR. Matthews VXR. Flick. Yeah. Smooth. Absolutely quiet, phenomenal. Landbridge Spillmaker. I'm mm. here. Man, guys, let's just give him a round of applause. Golly. There we go. Golf clap. You made it on the Bear Grease podcast. Bow. So, Everyone, I'm bowing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I thought you wanted us to bow to you. Yeah. <laughs> not Man. just not just on the podcast, but starting the podcast off. Yeah. Did uh, you you came place in hot. Of honor. You came in hot with my Daniel Boone and, song. And it was brilliant. And that was totally unplanned. I walked in the place where Josh works and just literally stuck a microphone in his face. I was going to ask. That is what came out. Did he know you were recording him and how often do you record us apart from our knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> If I That'll ever give you court. a consent paper to sign, <laughs> just, sign just like, and don't if show If he leans you. his chest pocket toward you while he's talking, <laughs> yeah. it might be a good sign. Yeah. No, Josh came in hot with the song of Daniel Boone, which I really was shocked uh, because I had just dug up that Daniel Boone song just a few days before. And honestly, I never saw that, 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 TV, show? that TV show. It was oh, awesome. Gosh. The Daniel Boone TV Fest show. Parker. Really? In a role that will astound you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, typecast man, him forever. We're going to talk exactly. about that more. Directly to Josh's right is a voice that you've heard before. Coming in hot <laughs> yeah. from the Bear Honey Magazine Global Headquarters, Colby Moorhead. Hey. Into hey. the Bear Tech. Colby. Yep. Colby the Bear Tech Moorhead. I need to try your voice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so for people that wouldn't, uh, many of you might be familiar with Colby. From the my former podcast, the Bear Honey Magazine podcast, Colby works for me at Bear Honey Magazine. Colby is the genius behind Bear Honey Magazine. He he does a ton of stuff. He's the wind us. beneath your wings. Colby Moorhead. <laughs> Don't sing that. Is the is the wind beneath my wings? Is is Kobe the man who can Col- get me? Colby. I'm sorry, Colby. Uh-huh. Is Colby the man who can get me a bandit hat? Oh, Whoa. that's that's a, t- a big that's ask. A big ask. We'll talk later. <laughs> no, great to have you, Colby. Back yeah. alley, man. Yeah. Thank you. And then to Colby's right, hey, we're going to call Seth our guest of honor. I would. Mm, okay. I definitely I appreciate that. I <laughs> You'll take it. That. This is uh, many, most of us know Seth from other places, but this is my friend Seth Haynes. And Seth had a home run performance on the Bear Grease podcast. Say. It was at least a solid double. It was, at, a, least, it was <laughs> at least a solid double. It was a solid double. Yeah, Tony Gwynn double. It was a Tony right? Gwynn double. I'll take him all day long. Yeah, yeah. No, so Seth, a couple of years ago, well, maybe not even a couple of years ago, a year ago, told me I ought to get this book on archetypes, branding archetypes. What's the name of the, the book? The Hero and the Outlaw. Yeah, people are going to ask. The Amazing Hero book. and the Outlaw. Amazing book. And so... What do I do when smart people tell me what to do? I hope you, you just do take it. a guess. Look the other you way. You don't do it. <laughs> I do what they say, Brett. <laughs> so I what guess. did I do? I got the book. And uh, I, to be honest with you, I didn't finish it. Oh, that's um, okay. That's but, all right. As but, long as you read the ones that pertain to you, yeah, like, yeah. like anything in personality, you're fine. Now, wait well, a minute. Oh, wait a minute. I told you to read a book like two years ago. You still ain't read it. What, I, what, what category got, does that put? That means you're not smart. Oh, okay. I have a question. Of the nine <laughs> archetypes, 
Which one corresponds to Clay Newcomb? Dozer. I, I the Dozer. The Dozer <laughs> that operator. That is not one of the nine archetypes. <laughs> it's it's 12, but we can get into that later. 12, okay. We can get into that. Still I, 12, then. Some might, some might like say the just the clown. <laughs> the, uh, I don't know. It would be interesting to talk about some of the archetypes because we they, they surprised me. We can do it. But, but no, so I started researching Boone. And so, you know, I read this Boone, Boone by Robert Morgan. 10 years ago. And you know who told me to read that book? Who told A man that I didn't even know at the time, which was Steve Rinella. It was on one of his book lists. Oh, and, really? Yeah. 10, 12 years ago. And I got it. Hope read you're it, listening, Steve. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I read the Boone book, and they started talking about Boone as an archetype, which as they began to s- describe that, I began to recognize Boone holding this place kind of in our culture that was like kind of unusual, just like this. It's like, why is this guy here? And they started talking about archetypes. And then a year ago, Seth had me read about archetypes. And then that's why I interviewed Seth. And I think it's really important to understand. You probably could have polled Bear Grease podcast listeners and said, what is an archetype? And maybe many of them would have been able to kind of describe it. Like I kind of would have known what it meant. But when you really know what they mean, Seth and I were, talking the other day you start to see archetypes all over your life and you you see these you see these places and anyway it's interesting so good to have you yeah everyone you know is that i'm probably an archetype to you of something which we could talk about that later i don't know yeah so there's like scales of archetypes yeah yeah totally totally yeah so yeah yeah, it was good time i i've enjoyed it i'm glad to be here with all of you archetypes especially you josh (laughs) wow singled out (laughs) yeah I don't even know what the hey, twelve are. Seth, I'm interested. To know. I, I did not choose that. Seth was the the cold open. That was a surprise to me. That was the one. That's the one part of the podcast that I don't put my hands on. I let Phil Taylor do what Phil Taylor does at oh, Meat he Eater. Does a good job. I Oof. always say in this. I was riveted when I heard Seth's voice. I was riveted. <laughs> no, I loved it. And see, that's it, that's why it's good to have like. I was expecting like some gritty fact about Boone. You know, like killing a bear or something i heard seth's voice and i thought finally they've replaced clay with somebody who sounds good <laughs> <laughs> my name's seth ains i'm the new host of the <laughs> podcast <laughs> it'd be a really boring podcast if i had to do it all yeah good to have you seth hey i've been doing some mule training this week boys did y'all know that no you I did i didn't know that it's just okay was that on the Instagram page? Yeah, it's on the Instagram. <laughs> he looked at you like that was an assignment. I, 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 did, I, I did see I, I, the real. I'm offended. He I'm offended. Did. I, I did see the real of you reading reading your podcast off the screen. What archetype is that? No, no. Yeah, I've been doing some mule training. Um, banjo. Oh, got I did a mule. see that. Oh, okay. I did Great. see banjo. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you can go back and like it or something. <laughs> uh, so banjo is uh, he's he's coming on three years old. Banjo is Izzy's full brother. Oh, I didn't know that. Full brother. So same mare, same jack donkey. Okay. And but they look different, but they both are pretty flashy. They've got color on them. Banjo, we had I got him when he was like nine months old. And and honestly, he should be trained right now. By the by the time Izzy was three years old, um, I had ridden her extensively, you know. So Banjo is not. He's not broke yet, but I am 
I'm, I'm kind of testing, and, and really it's just been schedule and timing, and I didn't need a mule. I trained Izzy real quick because I needed a mule right. real quick. There's a lot of excuses. Man, there's a, if you want to go buy a mule, especially after, post-COVID mule, is <laughs> big time. <laughs> the, post it, the prices went up on post-COVID mules like they did There's a, a phrase that's never right? been exactly. used yeah, before. Just, Come exactly. on, just through the roof. You see, a man, you see a man in Arkansas or Missouri driving down the road with a flashy mule in the back of his trailer, he might as well be driving a Benz. Brinks truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the price has gone through the roof. That is why, you, you know, three or four years ago, whenever I trained Izzy, Pre-COVID, now this will give you some insight into my financial status. I've also <laughs> said that you can tell a lot about a man's financial status and his disposable income by his mule trailer. <laughs> I have a mule trailer so old, people don't even know when it was made. I mean, like, I took it to a trailer place, and I was like, when do you think that thing was made? And he was like, man, I got no idea. And this was like an old it, it man. It does have wooden spokes. <laughs> wooden spokes. <laughs> no, so, but back in the day, I needed a good mule. Didn't have the money to pay pre-COVID mule prices, mm. so I had to go buy a just a unbroke, untrained mule. Got it, turned out good. Went back to the same guy and got banjo training banjo now. But I'll also have you know that ten days ago Saturday, I got kicked. The hardest mule kick I've ever been kicked happened. Hmm. Really? Ten day, the day I went to your house. Yeah. Do you remember I told I do, you about I it? I remember. Where'd you I get remember. kicked? Man, listen to this. I had to rub Clay's upper thigh <laughs> for half an hour. <laughs> I think he's faking. He told me that three years ago. <laughs> no. Okay. I was getting banjo. I'd taken banjo to another pasture. And he's not very good in the trailer. He's only been in the trailer a couple times. He'll go in and out good, though, which is a training feat. He'll go in and out. He was coming, I, I untied him and was backing him out. So I'm on the back of the trailer. His, you know, tail and rear end and legs are all, you know, right here. I've opened the door. He's backing out. He's dragging his lead rope because I've untied him from the front. And so he gets his back feet on the ground. He drops his front feet on the ground. So his back feet are like five feet away from me. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. my feet are even with his front feet. You're not yeah, in you're kicking his position. head still his in the trailer. Mm-mm. His lead rope is about to drop to the to the floor of the trailer, mm-hmm. which has mule dung in it. Right. So rather than let the rope drag through the mule dung, I reach real fast oh. to grab the rope before it hits the ground in the trailer. Been I there. never even saw it happen. My head is this way. And all of a sudden, I just just feel just a whop, mm. just a bam. And I turn around, and Banjo is just standing there just like he was before. <laughs> like, I actually don't even have any real evidence that he's the one that kicked you got struck by lightning. <laughs> that sucker, I, I mean, he, he must have come up off his front feet turned like this and just giving me a bam. But With luck, his front foot? No, no, his back foot. I mean, I guess. I don't know. You sure he wasn't the ghost of the captain? Yeah, it may have been. Because <laughs> I got here today and I was looking was, for him even though I knew he was gone. It was, yeah, Colby's experienced the fierceness. It was, I tried to, I've tried to describe it. It, he hit me right in the center of the thigh. It was the best the place outside. to get cooked, yeah. get kicked. Like it was the strongest muscle in your body. I think it would be equivalent to like a very strong man just punching you as hard <laughs> as he could punch you in the in the thigh. 
Mm. And it because it I acted like nothing happened because I I didn't want to give him too much attention. I didn't want to discipline him. It was my fault. And so I just grabbed up the lead rope, acted like nothing happened, and just walked him to the deal. And then <laughs> then that, went and sat in the truck and cried. Then at that, <laughs> then I was like, dang. And all it did was just leave a big. There's still a big big hoof shaped bruise right there on my dang. leg. Nice. Mm. Yeah. So been doing a little mule training. Um. So was banjo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. reach for my lead rope. He's clay. been doing some clay training. <laughs> or yeah. repercussions ensue. Yeah. Okay. Here's a, here's a little bit of feedback. Um. There was a I guy. Wish I saw that. <laughs> it was it was wild. There was a guy that listened to the Boone series, and that's what we're going to talk about on this one. This this Bear Grease podcast is going to be on the Boone series, on the Boone Part One. There was a guy that said, uh, "Great episode, Clay." When the son Nathan Boone speaks about camping on the mouth of Campaign Creek, north of of Point Pleasant. He said it brought legitimate cold chills. Hmm. He said, I had heard about that in college when I lived just a mile or two from there, and I was professing it as truth and being chastised by my hunting buddies. Hmm. But by golly, the old college professor that told me that was right. Basically, this guy's listening to this, and we're talking about stuff that happened like, Two miles from where he was, which was oh, pretty cool. cool. That, was, uh, that awesome. guy's name was Brady. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. You know, to the, I always think about you know finding stone points and stuff like that. To think about back a hundred or two hundred or three hundred or a thousand years ago, and to reminisce and imagine being you know that man standing in that place yeah. and how it would have looked different and how you would have felt as a human interacting with nature at that point. It's 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 uh it's it is sobering, you know. Yeah. Yeah, a guy, you know, 200 now years from now is going to think the same thing when they find that styrofoam cup laying out there. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what that guy was thinking. I wonder what he Okay, scandal. There's been a scandal. Uh, mm. Yep, locally? Big, big scandal. Nope, scandal right here on the Bear Grease podcast. Uh-oh. You guys Uh-oh. all heard. Mm. It's over. Do y'all remember when Were I told we you accomplices? Were in, yep. Yep, Uh-oh. I am not for sure, except for Seth and Shoot. Colby. Uh, yeah, all of me. you were accomplices. Shame were we you. being we break recorded apart from our knowledge? Uh, I'm. Not, <laughs> I think you knew you were being recorded. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, listen. No, this is this is legitimate. This guy named Alex. So, do y'all remember when I told the story of the game warden at the campfire stories? I do. Yep. I was talking about the meat eater um, campfire story audio book, which yeah. is, by the way. On the New York Times best-selling list of audiobooks. I saw that. Right up there with like Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights book. That's how compelling some of these stories are. <laughs> it, it, McConaughey was number one. Hey, here's we'll the McConaughey. We'll get him on the render. We'll hey. get McConaughey on the render. All right, all right, all right. All right. No. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to do no, it for somebody. So I think I, somebody was waiting for it. I, <laughs> thank you for doing it. I was not planning to tell a story from the audiobook because I hadn't heard it yet. I had not heard the audiobook. So I recounted the story of that game warden as I remember it being told because it was told to me very quickly just as somebody was like, hey, this audiobook. And I said, what kind of stories? And he's like, man, there's a story about this and a story about that. So Seth, I was advertising for this audiobook saying, hey, you ought to check out Meat Eater's new audiobook. And I said, there's this one story 
and I tell a story, and turns out I was way off from what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so this guy named Alex, he did a good job. He, uh, I, I, and, and Alex was the tipping point, okay? Because I had a couple other people tell me, say, say like, mm. Clay, you, you butchered that story. <laughs> and I, I didn't think much of it. You know, just kind of like, well, dang, you know, I wish I hadn't. But I didn't. And this guy, this guy, he was very polite, but he said, Clay, he said, after hearing you tell that story, and then hearing the real story, he said, it kind of discredits you because I wonder how much you embellish other stories. Mm. Oh. Cut to the quick. Ouch. Ouch. And I responded back to him. He was very nice. He said, I love the podcast. He said, I, that's why I'm writing you. He said, I'm just being honest with you. Yeah, yeah. And, and you got I wrote called him, on the carpet. I did. I did. And, and I, I wrote him back. And, and what he thought happened was that I'd heard the story and then just told it way bigger fully knowing the story. And I explained to him, I was like, man, that was a mistake. I said, I'd, ne- I'd actually never even heard the story. And I recounted it. So, so anyway, what you're saying was, is that we need a full-time fact checker man, on every story you tell. If you, you spend tell. much time talking, you better have a fact checker. I'm pretty okay. sure there's a proverb about that. <laughs> oh, is there? Hmm. Okay. I blame the dozer. <laughs> I, I put this ever since you've been on that dozer. Man. And the hum from if, that engine will shake some things loose. I... I have a song that is the best song ever <laughs> written about Dozer. I'm not going to sing it. Of all the Dozer I'm songs out sing there, no, this no, one is number really, one. Really, I think a lot of people that listen to that would have would have been like, "What?" Because, and so anyway, my deepest apologies. Well, you made a mistake. Yes, yes. And you owned up to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Next. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't making a big deal about it, but I, but when he. When he said that it reduced my credibility, that was like, ah, yeah, I don't, I don't want that because good to cover. I, I, you know, I was thinking about something. There, there is. I was thinking about this idea of embellishing stories, and Seth is a storyteller and a writer. Yep. And I mean, you know, me and somebody else could go do something together, and they come back and tell a story, and then I tell the same story. And I look at the dude and was just like, man, we were on different planets when that happened, if that story is the way you remember it. Like, there's something to be said for a good story. I mean, I deeply value the truth. I mean, like, always have, always will. And uh, anyway, sometimes people kind of want to say that somebody that tells good stories is embellishing a story. Anyway. Well, thoughts? I mean, first of all, that's a very Southern thing, right? I mean, we all know Southern storytellers, and Southern storytellers are... Just renowned they're, they're for <laughs> embellishing a good story. But I think, I mean, to your point, stories a lot of times are about perception, about history, about how you interpret the world. I mean, yeah. we can all be given a set of facts, but those facts and what we make of them, what we mean, I mean, that's why uh, lawyers exist to tell stories to juries and to take these facts and to, to help them interpret it in ways that are favorable to their client because everybody sees things differently. Yeah. Now, I'm not arguing for postmodern thought here. I'm just saying there are ways to interpret <laughs> stories yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in very different said, ways. Man, I always said in 30 years of law enforcement, if you want two different stories to something, get two eyewitnesses to the same incident. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you have folks standing right side beside each other, and they tell you the absolute honest truth as they saw it, and it it don't go. It don't go together, man. Mm-hmm. That's so wild too, and it, it and it applies to Boone because Boone. So much of what we know about Boone didn't come from Boone. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, very little of it did. 
we have accounts of Boone, like as he wrote letters, like like kind of like business transactions. The one interview with Boone that actually is out there was that John Filson interview from the chapter in the book. But Filson, everybody that knew Boone said that Filson took incredible liberty and basically wrote it in this beautiful, like if you read that, it's like very, like it's not in Boone's voice. And so it's kind of, even though Boone himself said every word of it was true, Hmm. but it's not in Boone's voice. It's like it's written in a different way. But that's, so all these things are secondhand that we know about Boone. And man, yeah, that is actually a great example of a story just two people down. Because the guy that told me the story had heard, heard the real story. He told it to me, and I'm not blaming him. He told it to me, and I mean, I had no intent of remembering the story. And then one story later, it's pretty different from what actually happened. Well, it's like that old telephone game, you know, in, mm-hmm. in school, yeah. where you start the story out at this desk, and by the time it gets to the last kid in the last row, it's nothing even close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that it just you think about history and how hard it is to track history, especially history as deep as boone and these things i mean well we appreciate his contribution to keep our podcast above board (laughs) yes he he had a couple other things oh oh yeah he did good this guy alex uh we'll call him the whistleblower (laughs) Uh, he uh he was he was he was he can't be the whistleblower because you told everybody his name well i'm not giving his last name and this is a we'll good compliment him to him. <laughs> Do you think I'm training people to send me real harsh criticism? <laughs> I'm real nice to this guy. Oh, you know I got to train them. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was he was he was pretty worked up, and so was I about the using the word poisonous and instead versus of venomous. venomous. Man, yeah. I'm the one. I tell people that, and then when I make the podcast, it was I said poisonous probably six times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and. And partly that was because it was those these podcasts are recorded at different times. So when I'm like sitting at my desk, like doing a voiceover, and I'm really intentional, I'll do it right. But if I'm out like talking to somebody, I might do it wrong. So he is very right. The correct way to describe a snake that when it bites you, it might hurt you real bad is venomous, not poisonous. Okay. Did you know that, Seth? I did know that because my son Isaac, who uh, yeah, he loves the outdoors. Uh, he tells me all the time, Dad, it's not a poisonous snake. And I say to him, every snake is poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> venomous like, or not, they're all poisonous. Care. I'm getting away from it. You're like, I don't care. Um, okay. Alex also had a small bone to pick with me about uh, owl hooting. Basically, he said he's not a good owl hooter, but it's because he uh, he, he can't carry a tune, he says. And he just didn't think it was fair that I was casting judgment on uh, people who couldn't owl hoot. And there's two things I want to say, and I said this to him. Number one, I never said that somebody who couldn't owl hoot wasn't an, a good outdoorsman. I emphatically said that over and over in the podcast. All I said was, if you are a good owl hooter, there's a real strong probability that you're a good woodsman. That's all I said. Correct. Okay. True, true. I um, bet Daniel Boone had a heck of a Number hoot. two, <laughs> the other thing that I told him was <laughs> that I, I basically said no comment on the owl hooting thing. I just, it's like, if you can't owl hoot, that's, that's, that's your you. problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks, Alex. That was great. That was great. Yeah, we just did a little housekeeping. That's all. You know, I, I meant to early on 
describe we've got a lot of new listeners to the render seth i like and it. a lot of new people don't understand what the term bear grease means i so still it, don't understand it i've been here the whole time <laughs> <laughs> so bear the name bear grease now seth would you know what would you know about this about bear grease well i mean just like why did i name my podcast bear grease well podcast? i kind of know you so i'm my guess is that I would, yeah, guess. I would know. My guess is that because you're a bear hunter, you've been a bear hunter for a long time, and you have uh, preached that bears are good for all kinds of things, for eating and, um, you know, you render grease down, fat down, to turn it into grease for other things. My guess would be that there's some use Man, I for expe- a bear I really grease. expected more from a rider. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. Or maybe you just like to you bathe him to ride Maybe it. you just slather it all over your body. You, love you, some bear you like bears, you're greasy. Yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. No, more? that's good. You're you're right. That's that's the surface level. You've hit the surface. All right, the, uh, the bear grease is a metaphor. Okay, so bear grease was at one time a really valuable commodity, both functionally for cooking for for all these different things. It was also used as a form of currency. Today, Seth Haynes, if you asked, if you polled America and said, "What is bear grease?" You know how many people would even have a reference point for what it is. But yet, its functional use is still very much the same. And so the the tagline of the Bear Grease podcast is where we explore things forgotten but relevant, mm. search for insight in unlikely places, and tell the story of Americans who live their lives close to the land. And so Bear Grease also, Seth, if you will notice... This I'm holding a jar of bear grease in my hands, folks, and there is about a two-inch band of amber clear liquid, and then below that is a solid white liquid. Mm-hmm. That's called this a bilayer. Is, this is bear grease mm. that has separated, mm. and at that separation point, um, many people, including Native Americans, have used that to forecast the weather because it moves with barometric pressure, and huh. it's highly nuanced. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that I really can, but it does change about every day. When it looks like that, it means it's hot outside. Well, there's my chart <laughs> yes. right there. I'm going to get you all a chart. Mm-hmm. Um, bear grease weather forecasting chart. So insight in unlikely places. So bear grease is a metaphor. Okay, so that's. I just want to say that because we're getting new listeners. Bear grease is a metaphor for things forgotten but relevant. That's why I interviewed Roy Clark. That's why I interviewed James Lawrence. That's why we're talking about Daniel Boone. We're looking for insight in unlikely places. That's why we're talking about how snakes and this innate fear of us of snakes and our mothers telling us not to do it is this like bigger picture of 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 how human relationships are supposed to work. Don't pick up that snake and you believe her because the snakes are scary and you do what she says and you trust her. Um, you know, it's this bigger, bigger picture insight. So that is, and I then love it. this is the bear grease render, which is where we, so the act of taking solid bear fat, like raw bear fat off of a freshly harvested bear, melting it down into a liquid oil is called rendering. Hmm. How so, long does a render actually take in real life when you're rendering bear grease? You can render bear fat very quickly, like nine minutes. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's all dependent upon temperature. Okay, give me the 10-second process. How you do it? Uh, you just, okay, there's the way, the best practice. I'm not even going to give you best practice. You take a, a fillet of white bear fat, which it'll be on a fall bear. I mean, could have a lot of fat up. 
cube it up into one inch cubes, put it in a frying pan, a fry daddy, any kind of source of heat. George and Foreman. <laughs> Man, I've real. never rendered. I'm just fat wondering, in a George I mean, Foreman. Uh, it's a valid question, Clay. Wait, you've never <laughs> rendered George Foreman's fat? Or no, you've no, never no, rendered? No, no. Nope, never rendered okay. fat in a George Foreman. Oh, okay, all right. And and basically, it just melts down. And you'll have about 20% of it that does not melt down, that stays, is what we call a crackling. But the other 80% will turn into liquid. The best way to do it is to grind it. Oh. Grind it, and you have you get almost, uh, Colby, what do we say? Colby's my bear rendering. You get about a 95%. It, it if, you, well. if you cube it, it you get about an 80% return. If you grind it up, you get about... Probably 95% return. Low and slow seems to be better, too, from what I hear. You like, and the, the the color of it comes out different depending on how fast you cook it. Yeah, if you, if you, if you, cook, mm-hmm. it, if you cook it hot, it'll be darker. If you cook it really on low heat, like 225, it'll be, uh, it'll be much more solid. It'll, it'll, it'll be lighter. I'm telling you, that low, even heat of a George Foreman, boys. <laughs> and it's, it's self-draining. something to think about. It's draining. Self-draining. It's Render so bare fat and make a panini. George Foreman Grills happen to be one of our partners here. <laughs> we want to thank there. Caterpillar and George Foreman. <laughs> oh, man, guys, I'm serious. I Man, I've got a song. Oh, yeah? Hey, um... <laughs> Wait, could, could uh, Bear Grease, like, the render also be chewing the fat? It could have been. Because that's another way to render it's it. If you just want to like straight to... Straight to. It could have. We, we should have had you on the marketing team. When you we know, there was a movie. It made a Northwest Passage. Spencer Tracy. Y'all ever seen that movie? No. It's old, man. It was like 1940 oh, I remember something. that movie. And Walter Brennan is in that. And the guy that played Dr. Welby in that show, Marcus Welby, he also sold coffees. Uh, Mr. Coffee. But anyway, another another... Uh, use for bear grease. Walter Brennan. Y'all ever, y'all know who Walter Brennan no. is? No. I've heard the My name. We're, we're not 70. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, to the folks out there that are in my age group, which is 55 and up, I would say, <laughs> is uh, he said, he told uh, Robert Young, that was the actor's name. Robert Young looked at him and says, man, what are we going to do about all these mosquitoes? And Walter Brown said, rancid bear grease. Rancid bear grease, you put it on your arms, and it keeps all the mosquitoes away. <laughs> now, surely y'all know, that's Walter Brennan. You look Insect it repellent. Insect repellent. Yeah. I need you to come up with a list of everything pre-Abbott and Costello that I need to watch. <laughs> okay. I'll make you a list. That was a pretty good impression. Yeah. Yeah. We Walter all know Brennan. who you're talking about now that you now, said that. there yeah. you go. Yeah. Hey, speaking of... What did y'all think about Josh being able to remember that Boone song? I mean, that was pretty impressive, right? Yeah, it was. always. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What y'all don't know yet is Josh is a well. He's played before on the on the Bear Grease. I Ranger. have a little bit. Yeah, a little. A little bit. But uh, okay, this is the this is the segue into us talking about the Boone podcast. Josh has a little song for us. Mm, a little Bridge. something out of the archives. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Let's hear it. Daniel Boone was a man, yes, a big man, with an eye like an eagle and as tall as a mountain was he. That's right. Daniel Boone was a man, yes, a big man. 
and salute. He was brave, he was fearless, and as tough as a mighty oak tree. Sing it, brother. From the coonskin cap on the top of old and to the heel of his rawhide shoe. The rippinest, roaringest, fightinest man the frontier ever knew. Daniel Boone was a man, yes, a big man. And he fought for America to make all Americans free. <laughs> what a boon, what this a, a do, great what song. a dream come true was he. Daniel Boone was a man, yes, a big man. With a hoop and a holler, he could mow down a forest of trees. That's right. With a knife and a gun, he never did fail. There was nothing oh, the he bridge. could not take. <laughs> yeah. The land bridge. He blazed bridge. a big wide <laughs> liberty trail through history's hall of fame. Daniel Boone was a man, yes, a big man, with a dream of a country that would always forever be free. What a boon, what a doer, what a dream come truer was he. That's right. What a boon, what a doer, what a dream come truer was he. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And it's all Man, that was great. Lies. That is. <laughs> He's no washboard player, but pretty good. Oh man, that was awesome. That was awesome. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives, and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. 
That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. So perfect, perfect segue into, yeah, when Josh sang, so on the first of the podcast, when Josh sang that song, there were two things. It says Daniel Boone was a was his man a big man a big it wasn't man. a big man and i daniel boone was five foot eight and weighed 175 pounds yeah well fess parker wasn't fess right. parker was about <laughs> six three and he was a big he was a big man yeah mm-hmm. he also wasn't daniel boone <laughs> <laughs> he was and, fess parker <laughs> and then uh it, it says that daniel boone wore a coonskin cap which that was just like total hollywood Where did that come from then well davy crockett as i understand it as I understand it. Did Fess Parker play Davy Crockett, too? Yeah, he played both oh, of them. Oh, man. I'm so confused. No wonder. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So he the did. same Hollywood actor played Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone. The real Davy Crockett, I think, wore a coonskin cap. Alex, let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and then so when Hollywood got a hold of Daniel Boone, I mean, of course he's going to wear a coonskin cap. Are well, you saying... That we cannot trust Hollywood? I'd never said it, Dan. <laughs> because my whole life is based on lies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that is so great because this, this part one of the series is kind of debunking some of the, the myth and presenting the idea to the people that there is a lot of Boone's life that is mythologized and is, there's, there's lots of stories. Like you read this Boone biography, Robert Morgan, and he he every single story there they you know he tells all the facts and all the potential reasons why it's true and you know he kind of leaves some room for this probably may not have happened or it may have but there's a whole lot of that and uh, what's so interesting and Robert Morgan I th- I feel like he's kind of the main one that introduced this idea though to the world which is introduced it to us and we say it now like it's fact is that the real Boone was way cooler than the myth of Boone. Mm. I mean, he's one of these guys that didn't need fancy stories told about him because when you really see what he did and who he was, it's pretty wild, you know, but the closest modern representation I have of Daniel Boone is Brent Reeves. Oh my <laughs> gosh. True. He would True. wear, he would wear overalls. 
There's no doubt. Well, definitely. Hey, but what I'm, was what? Here's what I got out of that, especially like when you talk about Mr. Morgan's book, and I read that. the The Daniel Boone that people fictitiously wrote about was Gerstacker, everyday living. What do you mean? Uh, he he lived the life that Gerstacker lived the life that people fantasized Daniel Boone did. Yeah, but. The, who was I think Steve Rinella said, you know, he they weren't the only folks doing that though. That's right. Yeah. You know, they they talk about dressed in buckskins, you know. Well, Daniel Boone dressed in in buckskins. Well, so did his plumber. So did the guy at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> yeah, that, but it struck me that the majority of the things that were written about were about Daniel Boone. They were written about him later on in life when Gerstacker was writing letters home and the stuff we get from him was written by him. And yet everybody's heard of Daniel Boone, but nobody's ever heard hmm. of, of Gerstacker. And Gerstacker right. has a stack of facts to back up the stuff that he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, it was very intriguing What's interesting, to too, if you th- think about Gerstacker, which was from our episode four, Death of a Bear Hunter, a guy that was here in Arkansas, Seth, is that Gerstacker probably came to America, and this is total speculation, he probably came to America because of Boone. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like he, he came in the 1830s, 17 years after Dan, Dan's death. And by that time, Dan was famous in Europe, mm-hmm. big time famous. Hmm. And so people would have heard of the frontier and Daniel Boone. And, and basically, Gerstocker came, and he never said it. But right. they all did. They wanted to be like Daniel Boone. And that shows you that shows you the power of an inspirational myth. Yeah. I mean, if you're saying that all of this, uh, much of this, is based in mythology, allure of Daniel Boone, and then people say like, "I want to, I want to be like that. I want to do." I mean, yeah. it shows you the inspirational power of myth, and that's the thing that's gone from time immemorial. People look for these great big myths to follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Boone's in that line. He's yeah. the myth. Yeah, yeah. And if he well, was one of the most talked about and written about, especially all over the world, who it's a a good fact that or a good chance that that's who he was trying to emulate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And 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 you know, Boone was the real deal. I don't I, I don't think you're saying that Boone was Oh, absolutely. I mean, not. he was yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, what was your fa- what was did you know much about Boone? If I had stuck the microphone in your face and said who was Daniel Boone? No, I, what was interesting for me is I had watched actually a um a, a men show. who made America. Men who made America. Frontiersman. Man, Steve Rinella was in there the other that. day, and I was honestly kind of unimpressed with the amount of detail they gave. Well, I I did because this is the first, however many years. This is kind of the first chapter of Daniel's life, is what you covered in this first podcast, and that show, from what I remember, kind of covered the the middle to the tail end. So I didn't know any of, of this okay. stuff or these dynamics. Yeah. Um, so it, it was it was really interesting. To any me. any of it stand out to you as cool? Like for an example, when I read this book years ago, with no in, never thought I'd be making a Boone podcast. I mean, I was just reading it totally out of interest. I remembered probably three stories from this book that that I just probably would have never forgotten my whole life. And one of them was Boone's potentially illegitimate daughter. Like when I talk about Daniel Boone. Now, I've done a ton of research since then, but before, like if I just met you on the street randomly, if I walked across your yard mm-hmm. and met you in your yard, Dan, I'd be like, hey, Daniel Boone, heck of a guy. <laughs> and I would have said, did you know that he went on a hunting trip one time for two years? And but came would back. that story have been embellished? 
<laughs> that's the big question. Well, that's a- <laughs> could you have re- told the story correctly? Yeah, yeah, that would have been nice if I yeah. could. Have. No, I'm just I, I'm saying there there that story stood out to me. What story stood out to you? Co- you know, I'm a cultural kind of anthropology is my background. So what stood out to me was when the the Robert Morgan who who wrote that book when he talked about the culture of the Indians and if you of 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 Native American peoples and if you were going to dwell with them there was an expectation yeah. mm-hmm. that you would dwell in a tent and and, yeah. and probably have relations with a with one of their women. Yes. I mean, that, yes. that was just kind of – that was very eye-opening to me. And, yeah. if, and if Daniel was a man who seemed adept at understanding culture and enter, entering into groups – so, but it, it creates tension in me because I want him to be mm-hmm. kind of going off what Seth has been saying. There's this person that I want him to be, and it's not just a frontiersman who you know conquered and defended America, but it's a man of integrity. I mean, you're ta- you yeah. spend so much time kind of addressing yeah. these valid concerns that Alex you know had, <laughs> and part of that is because integrity is important. Yeah, you know, and so when I Daniel Boone fits an archetype for me that I want to emulate and be in some ways, I want him to be a man of integrity. Yeah. Part of that to me means being faithful to my wife. Yeah. yeah. And so it does. But as a cultural guy. You said that just the way I would have said Man, it. when Robert brings that up, it's like, oh my goodness. Like, he well, could have actually just you, been you a man. You heard me be like, do you? Do you really think he did it? Yeah. I, I when I heard that, yeah. I thought, I know the look on his face. Like, them's fighting words. Like, well, listen. What's wild is that there's accounts. Okay, one time, Boone, when he was at his home with Rebecca, the neighbor's husband had gone off somewhere, and they were they they ran out of food. And there's a story of Boone going to their house and giving them food. When the man comes home, the woman says, Daniel Boone came by, gave us some food. And the man comes and confronts Daniel Boone. And this is a story that we believe to be true. And and Dan and the guy basically accuses Dan of flirting with his wife. Dan will have no part of it and whips him. I mean, like Dan Dan Boone would fist fight you as about as quick as I mean he was he wasn't hot tempered. He was he was a Quaker, but there are multiple accounts of him just flat whooping somebody. And he whooped his neighbor who accused him of flirting with his wife. And I know you call him Dan. How, I mean, how close friends I are you? I feel guys? like I know the guy, <laughs> <Okay>. man. <laughs> Y'all notice that? Yes. The longer the podcast went, <laughs> he started calling him, well, Dan. Big like, D. Big D. Big D. Big D. He comes in, well, Dan and I. No, you know, it, it, that's a great point. That I, and, and, it, yeah. And there, it's not, we don't know that, Boone had a Shawnee. He could have had two. He he lived with the Shawnees, and we'll get into this probably in episode two. Maybe we may go further than two episodes. I don't know, but he he lived with a Shawnee and was actually adopted as a Shawnee Indian for four. He lived with him for four months, and Shawnees visited him in Missouri when he was an old man. Like he had like real friendship with these people. Well, you got to so, take into account too that you know that. It wasn't a situation of when in Rome do as the Romans do. He was in a situation wherever that was the culture. Yeah. If the if any of that was true, he he was having to live every day. You know, these folks wasn't getting up and worrying about what they were going to do next week. They were worrying about 
how are we going to make it through today yeah, and tonight and then tomorrow? And if he's got to go along with whatever culture is there, I mean, that's a that, that, See, that's a problem, point. though. Yeah. That's a problem. It's it a is. big problem. I mean, I mean, and and I'm and you can make bold declarations on this side of history when that doesn't. I will never in my life be in this situation. I would have just said, "Go ahead and kill me, boys." My value system is more important than this. I mean, I'm being honest. I, I think I would say that. Now I realize that it's real easy to be like bold and have this valor, but like that's that's what I would want to say. You would too, Dan. Absolutely, but then you 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 have to ask yourself: Is that armchair valor? Exactly, uh, and I it am, is. Yeah, you know. And I, I had I felt like I had to say it just because it's like because yeah. if we say, well, if you're in this culture and you just do what that culture does, then you just have this really loose value system. It's not necessarily a valid reason, or it's not a valid reason at all. But you just got to put yourself in that. Or you can't in, put your you can't in, put yourself in that spot. You can't put yourself in as you call him Dan's spot <laughs> because you you that's Mister Dan. And, and, and maybe they wouldn't have killed him. <laughs> maybe they wouldn't have killed him. I mean, like the, the worst case scenario in that situation is they would have been like, okay. I mean, they would have found a reason to have killed you, which is very probable. Uh, but anyway, I'm 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 not suggesting that uh, anybody who wouldn't you know, partake of that would have been immediately killed. It wasn't like that, but it was a. If, if you valued your life, you stayed on their good side. If you were their captive, yeah. You know and I, mean? I think there's two. You've got a group of people who, you know, they're. It's in all likelihood it's going to. They're they're forming identity in in terms of interdependence, and so you've got insiders and outsiders, and that's discerned by very practical tangible behaviors if you're an insider you do like we do and 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 mr morgan said you know if if you didn't engage in that kind of activity as a guest it was like you're too good for us yeah you're an outsider and so it it does make you think i mean yeah it it was in a comp that's a complex it is for real um man i I don't want to gloss over that robert morgan both of my guests on this podcast, I, I was explaining this to somebody and I was like, if you were, just think of the biggest media company in America. If you were X and they said, we're commissioning you to get the top, you know, Boone. And I'm not saying they're the best Boone expert. There's a lot of Boone. There's lots of Boone experts in Kentucky. There's Boone experts all over. So they're not the only ones, but you couldn't have picked better guys than Robert Morgan. Robert Morgan's in his mid-70s, and I'll tell you a story. We were unsure if he was – I said this on the podcast. We were unsure, like, if he was active at all. And anyway, I looked on his, I looked him up. He had a website, emailed him, and within hours he was like, please come to my house. And this is a – he's an incredible guy, very humble. Like, he's a – professor at Cornell University and I would have only known Cornell just kind of through the office yeah Andy, never heard of it Andy uh, Andy is a graduate of Cornell never heard of it yeah. did you did you mention that to Robert I asked him if Andy was in his class <laughs> and he probably gave you a blank stare uh, he, 
He was uh, very humble, and he's from Appalachia. He's from North Carolina, but it was like such a great honor to sit with Mr. Morgan. What a great guy. Man. And then, I mean, it was awesome to talk with Steve about Boone. I mean, Steve, is he's engaging to talk with, and he knows so much about Boone. And more than he knows the facts about Boone, like Steve was able to put Boone in context so well, you know. Um, and uh, so Morgan – you know, kind of had the details and could just walk through his life without any, you know, he, he wrote this years ago. And uh, anyway, neat guy. Seth, what did you think? Uh, well, first of all, I don't know as much about Daniel Boone as you or probably anybody here. So it was fascinating to me when you wanted to talk to me about uh, archetypes because I thought, oh boy, I'm not going to have anything to add about Daniel Boone. But I tell you what was fascinating to me about the art, uh, the, the podcast and the discussion of archetypes uh, was how you used archetypes to tell, to make connections, to tell stories about who Boone was. And so it helped me understand the myth. And I think I'd actually texted you about this a little bit when you, you know, use the example of, of Jesus going to the temple and his yeah. parents going and looking for him. Yeah. And, and when you uh, talk and about... That, and that was a that was an excerpt from Morgan's book. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then wh- who was it that... Was it Morgan that talked about uh, Moses's vision? Yeah. All that, all that was in, in, in Morgan's book. It's unbelievable. So, so you look at, at Boone and you say, oh, this is why he's so identifiable because he, he sort of matches up with all these stories we know, all these stories that seem to recur uh, through. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go real highbrow here, and I am going to quote some science fiction because I know mm. that there's a lot of crossover I'm sure with your audience and oh. science fiction folks Pro- maybe uh, maybe there's a lot maybe are not. Black Panthers considered science fiction yes. sure yeah, there's <laughs> a ton of crossover that's right yeah. tons of crossover <laughs> but there's this check. old there's this old uh, sci-fi television show I love called Battlestar Galactica came out in 2000 mm. and they say over and over again uh, everything that has happened will happen again and what they're saying in the storytelling way is all these stories that we see, they recur over and over and over again. The story of creation, fall, you know, rebellion, uh, and rebirth. And they happen over and over again. And I think that's what was so powerful to me about thinking of Daniel Boone through an archetypal lens was that, oh, yeah, like that makes sense because I know that story or I know that story or I know that story. I can place him, um, you know, as a character because I... I understand all these other stories, yeah. all these other characters that have existed before. Dan, tell us about the 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 cat, the cat. What cat? The cat. The cat story. The save the cat. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So there's this. Uh, I can't remember the the. You know, you brought up cats on the last one. Guys, I'm somewhat of a cat fanatic. Cat, um, cat cucumber? No, go ahead. No, it ties into Seth's archetypes. So there's a wonderful book out there. It's called Save the Cat. And I think in the subtitles, like for novels or something, Save the Cat writes a novel. And it's basically um, the author. I can't remember her name. But what she does, she goes through all several different genres of very popular um, novels and they've a lot of them made into movies. And so the story arcs, she would say there's some similar to 12 archetypes, 12 archetypes, right? nine so stories. Nine, yeah. There's, there's a certain number of kind of typical story arcs. And in those arcs, there are particular, she calls them beats. Mm. And so each, each story has these, the stories that really compel us and grab us and yeah. like gladiator, you know, things, things like that have these particular beats. Yeah, and once once you 
are aware of these beats, you really do see them in lots of mm. lots of movies and lots of things. Mm-hmm. And so one of the beats is where the main hero, the protagonist, at the very beginning, at the outset of the story, he you know he or she will quote unquote save the cat. Where it's this kind of innocuous, fairly unrelated, supposedly to the broader picture, the the hero does something really nice. Okay, so he doesn't necessarily have to save a cat. <laughs> but in, I can't remember the actual movie, but there she, are movies where he actually literally saves a cat. the reason why like, she calls it save the cat is because in whatever movie it is, that's the, a good example. Yeah, that's of a good example. The hero does yeah. something really kind, which is and really human. similar, you know, in in what Seth is talking about, and and what. Uh, in Mark Robert Morgan in that book, it's like this appeal of the individual goes off by themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, where where Daniel Boone was out and he was gone too long, his mom didn't know where he was, and turns out he was fine all by himself. He yeah. killed this bear and was sitting by a fire, and look, boys, here's some meat for you. Mm-hmm. And it's just like we look at Jesus in Luke chapter 2, and it's like, wait, where did you go? Oh, he was fine, you know? Yeah. But the interesting thing culturally is like a Hebrew reader and hearer of that story in Luke would not look at it and say, oh, wow, he went off by himself. And that really kind of, that, that really kind of resonates with me and appeals to me. A Hebrew reader hearer of that story in the Gospels would say, wow, he claimed to be from a different group when, he said I was, when Jesus said I was in my father's house. Mm. So it's a totally... You, you, is that what Boone did? When? When in he was the off analogy. by himself. I mean, is that what Boone was doing when he said, guys, I'm cool. I'm here. I thought I was on the same no, track no, no, as you. No, I, I, I'm not sure what Boone would have done. But culture, culture really determines what we see. I see and we don't saying. even know. I see what you're saying. It's kind of a tacit lens yeah. that sits there and we look through it and, and we look at Daniel Boone's life and it's like, oh, really like these aspects of him. And we tend to kind of minimize these other ones. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think what's key about what you just said too is like when you – as we as Westerners, as Americans, we interpret that as the explorer. I mean, there's an archetype, the explorer archetype. And what does the explorer want to do? They want to go out, they want to find freedom. They want to fight for their freedom. They want to, you know, enjoy their freedom. Um, I mean, when you look at the way uh, the Morgan excerpt reads, it was, you know, uh, this Christ figure coming from heaven, coming to this new unexplored territory and saying, I'm going to go where I I know I can connect, you know, and it's uh, Moses when he walks out saying, I'm going to bring the people to the place through the desert. I'm going to go explore and bring the people to the place where I know they can connect with God, even though I don't get to go there. And, and then with, with Boone, it's, I'm going to go to the place where I know it's unknown. I'm going to fight for my freedom, but I know I can go out there and connect. And I mean, again, he's using, Morgan is using those, those just cultural hooks to help us understand like, oh yeah, this is who he, this is who he was. Cause this is the way that we interpret story. Yeah. Colby, what'd you think, man? Before I do that, there's an elephant in the room. Uh Uh-oh. Here's the thing. You talked about the office. He's talking about Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Dan is over here talking about beats. <laughs> and we talked about bears. Bears, beats. Yes! Wow. Wow. That if there like... was a bullet in this magnum, I'd shoot it through the roof. Boom! That's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. That was, Kevin Bacon. That was Kevin Bear Bacon. It's, like, yeah. it's killing me over here. I'm just like, I think sorry, you're everyone has been listening to this like, Colby, you don't, even, you don't even have to talk anymore. Dude, you just nailed it. Do we get to call, can to we call you anymore. Dwight for the rest of the episode? <laughs> sure. All right. All right. Yeah. Oh, man. Beats it. No, Colby, Colby uh, you, uh, what'd you think of it, man? 
man. What I re- stood out to you? I really liked it. You know, I think there's a lot of things that that stood out, but I think that that as there, there's two things. One thing is the aspect of where he was weighing out different cultural things between the Indians and you know white men, where he was looking at just uh, what wealth is you know, mm-hmm. and contrasting those. So just looking at the cultural norms inside of my life of what I perceive as value, you know? Yeah. So I'm, so it's like whenever I listen to something, I listen from the lens of, is there something that I can get out of it that overlays my life that could, you know, maybe like pull off some hegemon that I just believe, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's one. The other one would be... Um, let, let me comment yeah. on that. Yeah. It was, so that, sex, that was an excerpt that I read from Morgan's book yeah. about... Um, the the contrast between the European and Native American uh, worldview, and it talked about how the Native Americans thought Europeans were crazy, thought they were insane for trying to trying to pursue wealth. Like, I mean, I think maybe we all got it in that moment. But if you actually think about that, it's like very rational, mm. very yeah. Like if you lived off the land like Native Americans did. And people came here and were in search of precious metals, which were of like zero. I mean, like if we had a bar of gold out here in the mountains sitting by our campfire when we were deer hunting trying to live off deer meat, it'd be like, bro, don't put that on the mule. (laughs) We leaving (laughs) that here. I mean, like, like, so when you, to us that sounds wild, but it actually is much more of a kind of primitive you know ideology in in but it's so wild because our lives as westerners it really is it's sad yeah. it revolves around accumulation of wealth and and those that section of the book that was one of the sections 10 years ago that i remembered boone's illeg- illegitimate daughter and then the native american worldview was one of one of many yeah it makes you evaluate it's like yeah. what what are we doing here what are we doing yeah. here, guys? Yeah. I think that what what that jogged in my memory was. I remember when I was doing my research, my PhD research. There's a oh, study bring out that there. Again. Oh, oh, oh. Little guys call me doctor. Um, there's a study out there called Culture and Research <laughs> con- uh, Resource Conflict. I can't remember who wrote it, but there's the they looked at Menominee Indians in Wisconsin and mm. white, you know, American sportsmen and how they viewed nature different. Mm. And so the boil the whole book down in a nutshell is like the white hunters wanted to quote unquote conquer nature. Whereas the native peoples, the Menominee Indians in in this area really saw themselves as a part of it. Yeah. And that, and that was the source of them looking at each other and thinking you're crazy along with, of course, a history of discrimination and genocide and all, all kinds of other things. But, Fundamentally, they viewed yeah. reality different. You couldn't have had two groups of people meet in the woods that would have had different ways of thinking. Oh, yeah, for real. I mean, wild. Yeah, and wild. they're doing this. They're engaged in the same activities. That's so right. They're they're hunting. They're gathering. You know, in, ca- in, in and, the case of Daniel Boone, he's engaging in their activities. But that's why Boone is Boone. And what Morgan, and, and, you know, I talked with Mr. Morgan for three hours, and you guys are going to hear maybe 45 minutes of that conversation. Um, he, he talked about how the Native Americans had w- way bigger impact on modern American culture than we give them credit for. Mm. Because he said, like, 
for instance, and we said this, like these Europeans came over here, they didn't know a lick about hunting because mm-hmm. they weren't able to hunt in Europe yeah. because of the systems, or, you know, just the hierarchy of the nobility hunting. The so these commoners stack. coming over here, it would be like, I mean, imagine a, being a new adult onset hunter, 35 years old, showing up and having to make a living off hunting. Like you wouldn't know much. Native Americans taught 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 these men how to hunt they watched but boone he was drawn to the native americans from the beginning did you just mm. use the phrase adult onset hunter <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's yeah. a medical condition it's terminal <laughs> if you're not successful it's terminal <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so they had a, a big big influence and that's what made boone who he was it like really did like he and you'll see in these next couple of episodes how the Native American worldview so influenced him. And Boone did a whole bunch of stuff that really he probably shouldn't get credit for. And it's not because he didn't do it, but it's because it wasn't necessarily his intent. Like when Boone went through the Cumberland Gap and started settling in Kentucky, he wasn't thinking of an American empire that he was the spear point of. The dude wanted some good deer hunting. Mm-hmm. He wasn't looking to expand anything except his hunting ground. I mean, that is a he. He wanted a place for his family to live, where that he could get away from, you know, some of the pressures back home. But like, he was not like, man, I am a patriot. Actually, we'll learn that he wasn't much of a. He really wasn't that much of a patriot. Mm-hmm. He went back and forth. He was tried by the Americans for treason because they thought mm-hmm. he was a Tory. Yeah. And they thought he was uh, in, in coots with the Native Americans, which the French and the Native, and the Native Americans were t- working together to keep the Americans out of the West. Man, so the real-life Daniel Boone really, really didn't he fit were, the narrative no. of... Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, he fought for America to make all Americans free. No, sir. He was a teamster in the French and Indian War to make a living. He was a truck driver. Yep. Being a teamster I, that, essentially that, is that being a clicked, truck driver. because my grandfather was a teamster, and I always wondered, where did that name come from? He, like, why do they call them teamsters? So that put, I put two and two, to, two and two together when I heard He that. had horses and mules and a wagon? <laughs> no, he was a truck driver. Oh, and he called himself a teamster? Well, that's, so what they, that's the union. That. Yeah, the, yeah, union the union of truck drivers called are called the teamsters. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'd, and I well, always wondered why they were you know, called teamsters. Just his motivations were not as, like, pure as what the archetype yeah would suggest you know yeah yeah or the myth i mean like i i was looking at these lyrics too right when you started singing right that the the who he actually was didn't match with the myth that we've made him out to be and i i mean i think that goes back to what we were talking about in our conversation about you know humans are terribly complex it's you know we're not just archetypes it's easy to boil everyone down in this room to a certain archetypal you know type or character um, but we're all complex we're all de- you know in some circles you may be uh, you know a complete seen as a complete rebel and others a complete lover and another's a fierce explorer and and that's what I think made the the first episode to me so impactful was because you start to see these layers and I'm I, I can't wait for the second episode to see those layers because I think it's it, it does help to deconstruct some of the mythology that that Frankly, he helps make him more of a man, more of a human, more of a person, less of a myth, yeah. tall tale. More yeah. Easier to identify with. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, it, I really, that, when Seth said that, it made me think about the, the, the layers of who he was, the, the impacting story to me in that just, you know, 
my family is is something that I've put a lot of emphasis on doing, you know, building my marriage and, and building my family with my children. The story that really impacted me was the one with his son. Oh, yeah. Where, the, where mm-hmm. he would, they were on the riverbank camping. Um, even like the son shooting the deer, and it was, it was a bear, shooting the bear. And, well, he, he shot a buck. Yeah, yeah, it was a Dan buck. killed the bear. A, yeah, that's right. Um, his son killed the buck, and, uh, you know, Daniel came, heard the shot, came back, and was like, let's find this. You know, there was, there was this sense of camaraderie over this yeah. thing that, that Daniel would have loved so much to experience that with his son. And then, and then the, the position he, of he, being a father and a protector, being aware and alert to hear the, the, the chops of the Native oh, American man. hatchets across the river and saying, okay, here's the game plan. Here's wow, what we're going to do. I, I love seeing that yeah, aspect just imagine, of who Daniel Boone was. Imagine if one of us had that story. We're literally life and death. Like none of us, we just live in such a different world. But like imagine if Dan had a story going out with his dad and people that would have killed him or kidnapped him for life or at minimum stolen a bunch of his stuff. I mean, that was pretty common. And And I can't cast judgment on their intentions, but... Usually it wasn't good intentions. Uh, yeah, during that story, I think one of the things that kind of gave me chills was whenever they were in the canoe and he just pushed off and he put his head to where he could see under the fog. Yeah. And that statement's like, I see what people think about him or like how they view him that particular way. Like it was yeah. like some some scales coming off of his son's eyes of like, I see you a little differently right now, yeah. you yeah. know. And just even thinking about times inside of Think my about- life of like how I viewed my dad at different times of, uh-huh. of yeah, stages yeah. of life. Think about how masterful that move was, though, of mm-hmm. Boone. I mean, how he did that. Like, it was super calculated. It was very calculated because I, I thought, man, you're hearing those chops. Let's go. Yeah. You know? Why, yeah, did, right. why, why wouldn't he have gone? I thought about that. Why didn't they just leave? Well, it was dark. It, it was dark. You can't see anything. I yeah. think you got to move slower. You're going to make a ton of noise. You know, I would have just panicked and ran. But one thing that, that – is that, Okay, I, that, that's right. It, it was it was dark and they would have wrecked. The Headlamps canoe. are probably out of batteries. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that touched me about it though was when the son said that was you know he he shot that buck and Daniel came back and he said that was the last time that my dad didn't take me with him. Yep. Yeah. When yeah, yeah. he went out from the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's almost right like a rite of passage. passage. Yeah. 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 Well, and and that was that was significant to the son. You yes. Know? Well, it, it, I mean, t- talk about a moment in time that's fascinating, especially if you're a hunter. Is Daniel Boone teaching his youngest and last son, Nathan Boone, how to deer hunt? Mm-hmm. I mean, he did. Like Nathan told us that story. Dad told me that you don't you don't sneak up on the deer when they have their head up, but you slip in on them. And <laughs> on that one hunt, they killed 15 deer and two or three bears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, that's uh, that's pretty wild. Like, that was yeah. just, like, common. I mean, you know, heck, we go on a deer hunt and kill a deer or a bear in a year. We're like, mm-hmm. wow, what a year. I mean, they were... They were wearing them out, man. I well, think that's, it, that's what I liked about that whole thing was the relationship because that, that made Daniel Boone or Dan as, as like Clay calls it. <laughs> it, 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 it makes intimately as Clay does. I'm pretty much Dan. like this with it Dan. It makes Dan more relatable like what Seth was talking about because I can remember the coming of age moment with my dad hunting. I can remember – not so long ago, the coming of age of my son hunting with me 
when all that came about. And I can relate that back to Daniel Boone and his son. How crazy is that? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that was what spoke to me out of this, this first part. Was Man, so it, it, there's something unique and exciting and fun, and Seth would understand this having written a lot, is that when you really – well, many of us in the room would. I'm looking at Dr. Dan. Uh, <laughs> I need respect. <laughs> uh, when you dive into something so deep, you re- especially if you're researching a person, like I felt like I knew – I feel like I know Daniel Boone. I really do. Like I, I feel like if he walked in the door and sat down, I would know how to engage with him. It wouldn't be – like I feel like that now. Whether if that's true or not, I don't know. But but so when I read what well, the sequence of my study of Boone was first this Boone book, and then two other Boone biographies, parts of them, and then the last book I got was Nathan was Lyman Draper. Okay, Alex, uh, I said Nathan Draper on the podcast is actually Lyman Draper. Thanks, Alex. I love that guy. I really do. Um, <laughs> Lyman Draper, I found out about that book. Here it is right here, My Father, Daniel Boone. And it was like I had discovered, and I'd heard, I'd heard him talk about it, but I really didn't know it was so accessible to get. Like I didn't know I could get on Amazon and show up at my house in two days. And so I was like, Dad Gum, you can just order that book. And I ordered this book, and I started to read it. This segment it. of the podcast brought to you by Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Two-day prime I, shipping. I, I mean, like was deeply moved by hearing... Nathan's account of his father because I included the challenge in a telling a story like this is what do you include? There's just so much. And one thing that I did choose to include was that two different people sat down with Boone when he was an old man to interview him about his life. And one of them was his grandson-in-law hmm. who when Boone was an old man, imagine, imagine a granddaughter going to her new husband, man, grandpa's a pretty cool dude. <laughs> I wish somebody would write his story, just like te- get him to tell stories. Can and you the, write? And the, and, the, and the grandson was a doctor, as I remember. Like and, Dan. <laughs> and, yep. And the grandson goes and spends a, a, a notable chunk of time, I can't remember, interviewing Daniel's whole life. So, I mean, this is like Quill and Ink, I suppose, and in, in the. Eight, the teens of the 1800s, it would have been quill and ink, I don't know. He records the entire life story of Daniel Boone in Dan's words. And this too, and we'll get to this in the later episodes, but Boone died a common man. Mm. And this to me shows it as much as anything. Is they had this manuscript of Boone's life in his own words. And it just got lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, just got lost. I mean, if you had sat down and interviewed, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to name a political figure because it, uh, sure. it's just Dwight someone. Eisenhower. Extru- Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> if, you, if you sat down and interviewed Dwight Eisenhower and that was the only part of history, I mean, like you would probably take care of that yeah. manuscript. The manuscript was lost. And, and, and then it happened again. Another young family member said, Man, we ought to do that again because old Jimmy lost it. And so they sat down and started it, didn't complete it, but still had a big chunk of it. 
and lost it. So and someone Nathan needs to write Boone, a book. When Nathan Boone was in his seventies, he said the family told me they were going to give me the unfinished draft, but they never did. Ugh. Mm. And so that's part of the reason, though, Seth Haynes, why Boone is so mythologized. Yeah. Is because we never heard from him in his own voice. We never heard from his own voice. The only place we hear of him in his own voice is John Filson, who wrote the very first part of when Dan was 50 years old. Do you remember what made him famous, mm-hmm. what catalyzed him, the single chapter in the book? But that's not in Dan's voice. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? That guy took it way out of his voice. And so, anyway, it's just, it, it, it's, it's a wild story. And it's, uh, um, it, what I hope people see inside of this whole thing when we're done with it is Boone had the reason, and I've said this before on the Bear Grease podcast, I'm, I'm not interested in, and not that you can like critique someone's character fully. I mean, like every, anybody you talk to, us in this room have flaws in our character. Brent. I was looking at you. I was thinking Daniel. But I, I, I don't want to like, you know, highlight or, or celebrate someone that just had like, it was not a good person. You know, Daniel Boone had it pretty incredible character robert morgan did a great job in this book and i actually talked to morgan about it It probably won't make the podcast because it just wasn't that flashy of a section but i said it seems to me like you like you're interested in like defending boone's character and he was like yeah i mean that's what i remember him saying just because boone because we'll get into more boone had a lot of potential for having bad character he was in debt to a lot of people spent a lot of time in court over debt tried of treason a lot of people i mean anybody that's that famous there's going to be a lot of people that were jealous of him didn't like him and he made mistakes just like anybody would have so anyway but daniel boone dan boone oh dan it seems a little bit like when you talk i mean you just keep thinking about what Seth's talking about with archetypes it's almost as if it we talk about the founding fathers and was a nation we needed fathering and that he certainly lived at a time and then in the subsequent years you know we're still decades and 100 years later our our nation's still kind of forming and we made this myth of a father who would do what daniel did with his son in that canoe which was let me wrap you up put you in a blanket and you lay down and i'll paddle us through this kind of uncharted territory with some folks are chasing us. Yeah. You know, we kind of made this myth. And even that, the lyrics of that song, you know, he fought to make America free. It's kind of like deep down, just like us, we remember these, like Brent's talking about this moment with your father and your son. We need to be fathered. And as a nation and as a culture, we need fathers. Mm-hmm. And so some of it's true, some of it's a myth, but we construct this father figure yeah. in Daniel Boone so we can feel safe, you know, yeah. so we can feel, and so we have a, a place to head. You want to be like your dad. Yeah, yeah. You know? Man, and, and Boone came at such a great time to be an American hero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, this prime time was between 1770 and 1780, like we said in that quote about his 30s. I've had more people ask me for that quote. You remember the quote the one about the here. man in his yeah. 30s? Yep. Yeah. Um, lots of people 
that quote impacted Misty and I like, such that we put it in our in our. I'm already. It was in my actually 40s, in Misty, so it like was it. actually in Misty's <laughs> office. I would like to correct myself. I said Alex. in the presence of Mister 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 Morgan that it was in our house. It was in our office. So anyway, we've had the quote, but incredible quote. Yeah, that um, quote was impactful. And for it sure. was so 1780 to 1770 to 1780. I mean, the American Revolution was 1776. I mean, that was when we. So it's like a, that's a good time to if you're looking for a hero status to be around. But I mean, to Dan's point and to what I said earlier, everything that's happened before will happen again. I mean, it, and and maybe there's some anthropological, uh, you know, truth here too. But like, I think that's where we are right now. I think the reason why people are sitting in this room discussing Daniel Boone all these years later is because I mean, we're at a point. I feel like we're at a point in our history, regardless of where you're on the political spectrum, where we we need some strong character driven yeah. individuals men or women but to step up and to say like well, we we need to make something better of this country yeah. and and that's why these stories keep resonating because yeah. we we kind of come back to these moments of history where it's like man things things feel shaky things feel yeah. uh, they like they're going to fall apart a little bit and we kind of we want those heroes we need them yeah incredible Man, hey, this has been a great conversation. I can't thank you guys enough. Really, uh, thank you all. I, I, I love every one of you. Thanks for coming. Good good combo. And uh, I wanted to show you one thing before we quit here. Y'all see this? That Brent, is a nice describe hat. this. This hat. <laughs> I'm going to put it on. See. On a scale of one to ten, I would give that about a ten and a half. This is, uh, this is my new hat, boys. Mm. This is a 100% beaver felt Sing custom made hat. It's beautiful, and it says ma- "handmade for Clay Newcomb," and it has bear grease right there. Oh, nice. cool! Ooh, yeah, right so uh, they're out of they're out of Jackson Hole, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sing Hat Company. Uh, they're friends of ours, and uh, I just got this in the mail today. I follow them what on Instagram, think? and they have. Oh, uh, some amazing Very hats. nice. Is everybody there? 100% beaver felt hats. And the reason that I have this on is because Daniel Boone did not wear a coonskin hat cap. Mm-mm. He wore a beaver, beaver. felt hat. Really? Yeah. yeah. With a coonskin on top. With a coonskin on <laughs> hey, top. Hey, what? Does everybody with a podcast get one of those hats? I wish, man. <laughs> it ain't. I, I take one. one. <laughs> I got one. There's not enough and beavers. It's, got, it's about coons. There's not enough beavers. Your head's so big. Let me tell go. you something. This hat was designed to look like James Lawrence's hat oh, that really? I put on my Instagram. Oh, I sent, awesome. I sent her the picture. Uh, I sent her the picture of James Lawrence. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway... This is my Good new stuff. hat. That's a cool hat. Yeah, I like it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of break it in a little bit. I like it. Nope. Looking forward to episode two. We'll keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live, and that's where Daniel Boone wanted to go, where the bears were, and it wasn't big. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana. 
They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. 